Shalom, and I hope all is well. My name is Yitzchak Schiffman. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, and I hope you enjoy the Torah classes in it. Now, on to the episode. Shalom, everyone. Hope all is well. Be'ezat Hashem. We're picking up Masechet Sanhedrin today with Yud Amur Aleph, with 10a. We're going to have two sections in today's learning. The first is going to be a conclusion or a continuation and a conclusion of yesterday's uh, Amud, where we're discussing scenarios of Rav Yosef and Rava regarding testimony employing the principle of Pagin and Dibura. And the second section we'll get to today will focus on the Machloket we had in the Mishnah, Tanakam and Rav Yishmael, regarding how many judges are necessary to adjudicate cases of Malkot, of uh, lashes. Our learning should be, again, as a Rafuah Shleima, a speedy recovery for Yaakov ben Dina. We should hear good news. Bezat Hashem soon. Now, we're going to begin uh, the fifth line on the page on Yud Amud Aleph. Bezat Hashem. Ve'amarava, ploni ba'al naram orasa. So we're going to begin the first verse line, Alo Amrinan, the end of the line. Ve'amarava, ploni ba'al naram orasa. Just a brief introduction before we begin. We're in the middle of a sugya here, very interesting sugya, that Rava has taught us this idea of Palgina Dibura. Now we remember <clears throat> there's a concept of Edim who come into court and they testify about something. So if it turns out that they're Edim Zomimin, which means they are false witnesses that other two Edim come and tell them, you were with us on that day, you could not possibly have known, they receive the punishment they were trying to have leveled against the defendant. That's what they were trying to level against the defendant, they end up getting. We also mentioned the idea of Pagina Dibura. According to Rava, you can take one statement. There's two implications of that one statement. One will accept, the other one we cannot accept because there's some personal involvement. Like it's Adam Karov Etzel Atzmo, he said Etzel Ishto. Spoke about that at the end of last week. We're going to pick up today with two more psakim of Rava with these same principles. So the Gemara says like this, Rava, Ploni ba'al nara ma'orasa. Fellow walks into court um, and he says as follows. Uh, witnesses, excuse me. Witnesses walk into court and they say, Reuven, they identify this man, ba'al nara ma'orasa. He had relations with a na'ara. Now, na'ara is a specific stage in a girl's development, around 12 years old. Ha-me'orasa. But she was also me'orasa. Me'orasa means she had already accepted kiddushin. So she was married. Now, she hadn't consummated with nisuin, but she had accepted uh, kiddushin. Now, they did not identify which na'ara me'orasa this was. So really, what they're testifying here is a pure capital case. They're saying, this fellow's chayav mita. He had relations with a girl who was married. She may have been willing, but the point is we don't know who that is. We saw him having a relation with this girl. We know that she was a nara morasa. She was a married girl. Therefore, he is chayav mita. That's essentially what they're saying. And we cannot identify who the girl is. But then those witnesses turned out to be zomimin. So the halacha is, mamon. They will end up being killed because they were trying to kill this fellow in court. But they don't pay money. Now, why don't they pay money? Because what money are we talking about here? The tuva that that girl would have potentially lost if this was true. But the problem is we don't know who that girl is, so they wouldn't have caused her to forfeit money anyway. So therefore, all that's going to happen here is those witnesses that were Zomimin will be killed. 
but uh, they won't have to pay money. That's where they did not specify which girl it was. But, continues, If they say, this fellow Reuven had relations and they identify which Nara Maorasa, the daughter of Ploni, they specifically say who it was, and then they turned out to be Zomamin, so then they will be killed and they're going to have to pay for the loss of the Ketuva they would have caused that Nara Maorasa that they identified. And the Gemara explains, Mamon they are going to have to pay money for the loss of the Ketuva and I'll explain how Rashi understands this in a minute. And also they're going to get killed because they were trying to have both the person they were testifying about, the man, and that Naramorasa killed in court. So therefore they're going to have to pay money and be killed in court in this case. Now Rashi addresses the obvious question here, which is as follows. We learned earlier that if witnesses are attempting to employ uh, monetary payment and a death type of punishment on the same person. So then we say, which means that they get the more severe punishment, which is death, and they don't have to pay money. So Rashi says, but wait a second. In this case, the same girl that they were testifying about who should be chayav mita also would have forfeited her ketuva. So why are these edim then chayav to pay? You should say, so Rashi explains, it's different over here. In the case when the girl's already a nisua, she's already consummated the final stage of marriage, in such a case, they were causing her to be killed and her to forfeit her ketuva. So therefore, if they're going to be killed, they won't have to pay money. But here, she's a na'araha ma'orasa. She's a girl who accepted kedushin, but she's a na'ara. And a na'ara, we learned to Masechet Kedushin, is still in the domain of her father, which means who's really going to forfeit the ketuva here? Not her, actually, her father, because since she's still at the stage of kedushin and she's only a na'ara, she's not considered a full adult yet, the father would actually get the ketuvah in this case. So they're causing the father, that's the mamon means they would have caused her father to forfeit the ketuvah and then her and the suspected adulterer to be killed. Therefore, there's two different characters that they were going to cause loss to. And in such a case, we're not going to say not only would they be but they're also going to have to pay for the money they would have caused the father to lose. That's what Rashi explains here. Beautiful. That is the first case of Rav. Let's move on to the second now. And this is very similar. But Amar Rav, Rav continues and says, if the witnesses walk into court and they say, Ploni Rava Shor, they say, again, a similar idea, the distinction we made before. They walk in and they say, we saw Reuven be, having bestiality, having relations with an ox. Now they said an ox, unspecified. We don't know whose ox it is altogether. Because when they turned out to be Edim Zomimin, so now again, they will be killed because they were trying to have Reuven killed because the punishment for bestiality is death, but they don't have to pay money because what would the payment of money be for is that we know we learned this earlier. If someone has relations with an ox, with an animal, the animal is also killed. But here we don't know which animal it is, so therefore we're not going to take that into account. All these witnesses will then have to be punished with is that they'll be killed and not have to pay money. But if they say, they say he had relations with someone, they say this, this guy with Reuven had relations with Yaakov's ox. So now we know which ox it is and they identified it. So now what happens is they're causing a death and a monetary loss because they're causing Reuven to be killed. And they're also causing Yaakov's ox to have to get killed as well, which is the halakha 
by someone who had relations with an animal. So if they said, when they turned into Zomamin, two others came and said, you couldn't have known because you were with us. So then, then they will also get killed because they were trying to kill Reuven, but they're also going to have to pay money back to Yaakov in this case because they would have caused his ox to be killed, which is a monetary loss for him. So Mamon Lazed, this is a scenario where they caused a monetary loss to the ox owner, or potentially, and therefore they'd have to pay him. Ben Fashot Lazed, and therefore they're all, and also get killed because they would have caused Reuven to die. So in this case, they'll get the double punishment because it's two different characters they're testifying against. Therefore, they absorb both, and we don't say Kam Lebedrab Minya. Asks the Gemara, Hatulamali, why do I need this second chidush regarding? The ox. It's essentially the same thing as the case of Naram or Asa. Meaning, what's really the chidush here is if they specify who is the girl or they specify who is the ox, so then we could identify that there was a real monetary loss here for another person, and therefore they would have to be both killed and pay for the money. That's really the chidush. But if they don't specify, there's only death because there's no monetary loss. So then what's the necessity of saying the second case with the ox that's not already illustrated in regards to the Naram or Asa? So the Gemara answers, sorry, it's the same thing. So the Gemara answers, because Rava wanted to pose a Sheila question on this second case. So really you're right. The second case is not inherently a Chidush. But this Sheila that he's about to ask, this followed that second case. So he introduced it with the second case. What was the Sheila that he asked? He said like this. What happens? The Bayi Rava, Rava posed the question as follows. Where he specifically says Reuven had relations with Yaakov's ox, we say he has to get killed for attempting to kill Reuven, and he also has to pay money to Yaakov for attempting to have Yaakov's property destroyed. But Rava posed then another question. What about if the, guy, the witnesses walk into court and they say, Rav, uh, the Ploni, this guy, Rava Shori, he had relations with my ox. So Mahu, now what's the halacha? Now this poses a very interesting question because we learned earlier Adam Karovitz Alatzmo, person's considered a relative of himself, person's considered a relative of his wife, he's not believed about that, and we'll say Palginan Dibura, we don't trust him about himself or about his wife, but we could trust him regarding the other fellow. Now he's testifying about his ox, his animal. So Miamrinan, do we say, now let's read it inside and I'll explain to you how Rashi says a little bit differently with a chidush. Niamrinan, do we say Adam Karovitz Alatzmo? We do say a person is considered a relative of himself, so he wouldn't be trusted regarding testimony that affects him, but he would be trusted regarding somebody else. We say Palginan Dibura. But Ve'ein Adam Karovitz Mamono. He's not considered a relative regarding his money, which means we would say is he is trusted regarding his ox. So not only would that fellow be put to death, but also, he would also have to lose the ox. The ox would have to be killed as well because that's not considered karov. He's not considered related to the ox in that sense. Oh, Dilmor, perhaps we'll say, no, we say no. He is considered related to his money or connected to his money. So he would not be trusted about it, only about the other fellow. The other fellow is killed, but he's not killed. But the ox is not killed. So, Batar Debayadar Pashta, after Rav asked this question, he resolved it and he said, Adam Karovitzel Atzmo, he is considered a relative of himself. Ve'en Adam Karovitzel Mamono, he's not considered connected to his money, so therefore he'd be trusted regarding the ox as well, and therefore the ox would have to be killed in this case as well. Now, Rashi explains, I just want to add what Rashi says because he really explains a little bit of a chidush, how to understand this. Really, logically speaking, 
If it's my money, I shouldn't be allowed to testify about it. Even though he did say before, Hodat baldin dami, but I shouldn't be allowed to testify because this is something that directly affects me. Lechaura, you'd say. So the way Rashi explains is like this. When we said above, Palginan Dibura, what we were really saying was, we don't trust you regarding yourself. We don't trust you regarding your wife. But we split your words in half. So we don't trust you regarding the implication that's personal. We do trust you regarding the implication that's outside of you regarding the other fellow to put him to death. Whatever the scenario was we had earlier. So what the Gemara is saying over here is like this. Is that if we would say... Adam Adam's not considered Mamono. so what we would really be saying is like this, since you're trusted to put the other fellow to death, so we're not going to say Palgino Dibura, and we're going to say over here, if you're trusted to put the other one to death, almost like the Migu we spoke at before, you'd also be considered trusted regarding your money, and therefore your ox would be killed as well. Or do we say, no, you can't say such a thing. Granted, you're trusted regarding the other fellow to put him to death, but Palgina Debur, you have to make a distinction and say, regarding your money, you're not considered trusted because it's karov, it's considered connected to you, and therefore you shouldn't be allowed to also be trusted to have your money destroyed in this case. And that's Rava's conclusion, is that you are trusted regarding your money. We don't say, karov etzel mamono, and therefore if you're trusted regarding the other fellow, you're also trusted regarding your money. Okay. Beautiful. That's the end of that sugya. Let's move on now to the second section of the day. We had a machloket in the Mishnah regarding cases of malkot. Okay, so we know when it comes to monetary cases, you need a court of three. When it comes to capital cases, you need a court of 23. We had a case in the Mishnah that seems to be somewhere in the middle. Case of malkot. Some sort of a court case that is a court case that could administer lashes. Okay, malkot. Lashes in court. Like we've learned before, Somebody transgresses a lotas, a negative command in the Torah, he's chayav malkot. So there's some sort of an adjudication that needs to go on. And they want to know how many judges is necessary for this. So the Tanakhama of the Mishnah said you need three. Rabbi Yishmael said you need 23 judges to adjudicate a case of malkot. So we're going to now try to explain first the opinion of Tanakhama, and then the opinion of Rabbi Yishmael. So it says the Gemara Makot, the Shlosha, that Makot requires... Three judges to adjudicate. Menani Mili asks the Gemara, why does Tanak, why do the Tanakhama say, why does the first opinion of the Mishnah say you need a court of three to adjudicate Malkot? It's based on a Pasuk in Parashat Kitetze. Now, Kitetze, which is Dvarm Chafhe, it's talking about over there the scenario of Malkot, where somebody is liable to lashes. And the Pasuk there says, Ushvatum, they shall adjudicate. That's a plural language. So says the Tanakama, Shnayim, that's plural, plural, minimum, whenever you have a plural language in the Torah, it's a minimum of two. So it seems to be you need two judges to adjudicate a case of Malkot, of lashes. But Ve'ein Beit Din Shakul, you can't have an even court we learned earlier, and therefore Mosifin Aleyan Orechad Arekan Shlosha. You'd have to add on at least a third one, which is a total of three. Thus, says the Tanakama, we know you have to have three judges to adjudicate a scenario of Malkot. Ella says the Gemara Elameyata. But according to what you're saying, let's continue in that verse. The verse there reads, They shall make the righteous one, or the innocent one righteous, and they shall incriminate the wicked one. Now, is plural, and is plural. So if you're going to say the plurality of the verse implies two judges, so maybe 
should add another two. Virshiyu should add another two. And then you have six altogether. You can't have an even number. So maybe you actually need seven to adjudicate cases of Malkot. So if you're learning from the plurality, it should come out that you have seven. So the Gemara answers, No. The words Vitziku and Virshu are not extra to use for the numbers of judges as they're used for a different drasha of Ula, and this is a fascinating drasha. Ula teaches, those words Vitziku and Virshu teach us an entirely different drasha. What is that drasha? Let's see. Kedula, like Ula says, the Amar Ula, Ula says, Remez Edim where do we find a hint in the Torah to this concept of Edim Zomamim? So the Gemara immediately interrupts and says, Remez Edim Zomamim? What do you mean a hint? Some sort of a reference. V'achdiv, we have an entire parsha. It's, it's, it's in Dvarim uh, Yetet. It's Parashat Shoftim, where it talks about Edim Zomamim. It's a Kasher Zaman. We know the Torah tells us what they tried to do to the defendant comes back and falls back on them. So you don't need a Remez for that. We have an entire parsha that talks about this concept of Edim Zomamim. Ella, so no, what was Ula asking? Remez le'edim zomimin shelokin minayim. God willing, we learn Mesechet Makot, we're going to focus in on this, but we know in general, the halacha ve'edim zomimin is, ka'ashir zamam la'asot la'achiv. What they were trying to have the defendant punished with, they have to absorb that. But there are certain cases where we cannot put back the punishment they were trying to put on the defendant. And in such cases, says Ula, the halacha is, if you can't give them the punishment they were trying to give the defendant, you'll have to give them malkot. Just malkot. That's, that's what they're going to receive. So that's what Ula was asking. Where do we find a reference that they'll receive malkot in a scenario they can't receive the punishment that they were trying to have the defendant receive? Now Rashi explains over here, the case where they would receive malkot because they can't receive kasher zamam, which is actually discussed in the beginning of Masechet Makot, is where they walk into court, witnesses come in and say about a Kohen, he's a ben grusha. That means that his father married a grusha, a divorced woman, and therefore they're testifying about his yichus, essentially. Because if a Kohen marries a grusha, a divorced woman, which is prohibited to him, the children are considered chalalim. They're considered desecrated from kiuna. They lose their Kohen status. Now this is something you cannot confer onto the witnesses, which the Gemara and Masechet Makot tells us why. And therefore, what's going to now happen is, instead of doing that, which you can't do, you're going to give them Malkot. So that was Ula's question. Where do we find a reference that when you can't confer the regular Ka'asher Zamam, the punishment they were trying to inflict on the defendant, that you'll give them Malkot? That was his question. So the Gemara says, So this is based on the Pasuk. The Pasuk says over there in Kitetze, it says, Now, the simple pshat is the judges will validate the innocent one when there's a court case in front of them. And then they shall incriminate the wicked one. And then it says afterwards, and the wicked one will get Malkot. So the Gemara says the obvious question. Because they validate the righteous one, the innocent party, and they incriminate the wicked one, as the Pasuk continues, that's why the wicked party gets Malkot. So the Rashi explains the question is, it means is that why does the Pasuk need to tell us that one of them is validated, one of them is criminated, incriminated, and then the incriminated party receives Malkot. What does the validation of the innocent party or the innocence of the righteous party here have to do with the Malkot that the wicked party, the wrong person here, is to receive? They seem to be unrelated. So what is this verse really teaching us? So the Gemara says, Ula explains, Ella, so he says, no, there's a different way to read this Pasuk altogether. 
So you have to have the, the pre-pasuk, what's before the pasuk, and then what the pasuk starts with. What happened was like this. This is how Ula explains the verse. We're talking about where the first pair of witnesses, who would eventually turn out to be Zomimin, incriminated a righteous person. It means they testified negatively against somebody that he had done a crime that he had not done. Meaning they said something that's not true about him. Witnesses incriminated a righteous person. That's the first group. And then the Pasuk picks up. And then a second group of witnesses shows up in court. And this is where the verse reads. And they validated the original righteous person. Meaning they came in and they said, No, you first group of witnesses couldn't possibly know about this testimony because you're with us on that day. Thus, they made innocent the, the person this first pair was testifying about. And they incriminate these, these first pair of witnesses. They become wicked because they were lying. So then what's the verse telling you? If you can't administer the punishment that they are de deserving, like the case where they testified that the fellow was not, was not a valid Kohen because his mother was a Grusha. So then the Pasuk says, it will be if the, if the guilty party is liable to Malkot. This is the source that where the Edim Zomamin cannot receive the normal Ka'asher Zamam. Instead, they get Malkot. Asks the Gemara, I don't understand. Why do you need to create such an elaborate drasha in order to find this source? We know that the halacha is when you have a lotase in the Torah, a negative command in the Torah, the natural punishment is Malkot unless it says something else. We've learned that already. So asks the Gemara, Why don't we just learn it from the Lotasev, not testifying falsely? It says, You're not allowed to testify falsely about your friend. That's a Lotase, a negative command. So that should be enough. They did that. They transgressed that love, that Lotase. And therefore, they should be liable to Malkot based on that. So why does Ula need to find this Drashavi? It's Diku. It should be sufficient from Lotase. So the Gemara answers, Because lotane is a lotase, it's a negative command with an inaction. You're not doing an action. Testimony, speaking, is not an action. And any lava, negative command, that does not have an action associated, you do not get malkot for it. This is a rule, we learn in Masechet Malkot at length, that when you have a lotase, a negative command, that doesn't have an action associated with it, you can't get malkot for that. So therefore, lotane wouldn't be enough to tell us that where they testify falsely against the defendant, they'd be chayab malkot, because that's just false testimony. It's not actually an action. Therefore, we need the drashah, to teach us where the witnesses cannot get kasher zamam. Instead, they get punished with malkot. But the bottom line that we're saying here is, according to the Tanakama, the reason you need three is because Ushvatum. Ushvatum teaches you two in the, in the parasha of Malkot, and you can't have an even court. Rather, you need a third one, so therefore it's a total of three. I of the Pasuk V'yitzdiku V'yirshiu, that's used for a different Rasha, as we explained. That's the position of the Tanakama. Let's move on now to Rabbi Yishmael. Mishum Rabbi Yishmael Amru, Rabbi Yishmael said, you need to adjudicate cases of Malkot, of, of, of lashes in court, in front of a court of 23, a capital court. Asks the Gemara, my time is Rabbi Yishmael. Why does Rabbi Yishmael say, you need a court of 23? So we have two terutsim, two answers. Amr Abai Abai is the first answer. Atya Rasha Rasha. There's the Gzerashava, which is Rasha Rasha. Mitot, which is comparing Malkot from Chayavei Mitot. We know there's a concept in the Torah 
the, the one of the ways we expound the psukim, we darshan the psukim, is gzerah shava, which means if you find one word in one context and you find that same word in a different context, it creates a track between these two places, and now you can expound certain things from one place to the other. So as we're about to show, it uses the same terminology of rasha by death in court, and it says that same terminology by lashes. So based on that, the Gemara is going to say, from this we could deduce, just as death in court requires a court of 23 to adjudicate, also lashes requires a court of 23 to adjudicate. This is the first explanation of Rabbi Yishmael. It says in Parashat Kitetze when it talks about Malkot Vaya in Bin Hakot Harasha. If the guilty party is found to be, uh, if he's guilty, he's Chayab Malkot. And Rasha, it says in that context of Malkot. And it says Hatamin, which is Parashat Maase, when it talks about death in court, Asher Hura Shalamut, he is a Rasha, wicked person to be put to death. Just as death in court is only administered with a court of 23, Makot is also only given, adjudicated in a court of. 23. This is Abayah. Abayah says, Gzerah Shava. Beautiful. Rava, Amar Rava says, actually, there's a logic associated. This is a fascinating logic. Rava says, Malkot b'makom mita omedet. Lashes is actually in place of death. And Rashi explains something fascinating over here. Once a person transgresses a lotase, that's a command of Hashem, it's fitting that he should die. So there's four types of deaths that, that in Beitin that one could reski, receive. You know, skila is stoning, Srefa is burning, herig and chenek is a beheading and choking. Says Rava, actually, if you transgress a lotase, you should be chayav mita. Lashes is a type of mita. You're not actually dying, but it's in the place of death. It's like one of the ways of administering death in court. So the beating you get with lashes is associated with death. Therefore, says Rava, based on that, just as death requires lot, we know that halacha is you need a 23-person court to adjudicate. This is a type of death, so it also requires a 23-person court to adjudicate. Interesting svara that Rava says. Asks the Gemara on this, the son of Rava. Asked Rav Ashi, it sounds like he was challenging his own father's answer. He said, if that's true, if it's true that the reason you need 23 uh, lashes you, 23 judges is because lashes is considered like a form of death being adjudicated in court. So umdena lamali, we know that the halakha is, if somebody did a lotasa and he was liable to lashes in court, they would bring in the court doctor, and the court doctor would say, really, Meikaradin, you should receive 39 lashes. But we don't want this fellow to die during the lashes, so evaluate his health and his strength, Tell us how many out of the 39 he'll be able to receive and not die. But says Ravashi, if lashes is essentially a form of death, why do we need to make such an evaluation? Lash him 39 times. If he dies, he dies. That's what he was deserving anyways because lashes is essentially a form of death. If that's true, why do I need an evaluation in court how many lashes he could handle? I just hit him. And if he dies, he dies. No problem. That's considered a form of death anyway. Amar Lei, Sir Rashi said back, No, you can't because the Pasuk tells us, Amar Kra, Viniklal, Achicha Leinecha. It says that when he receives the Malkot, Viniklal, Achicha Leinecha, literally means your brother will be demeaned in front of your eyes. But the way we interpret the Pasuk is he has to be your brother, which means it can't be that during the Malkot he's going to die. 
as the Gemara says, Ki machit, when you hit him, machit. only on the back of a live person should you hit, which Rashi explains means like this. Let's say he could only handle uh, 18, and you give him 21. So the problem is, is that the moment you hit him 18, and then you hit him a 19, and then he dies, the last two you're giving are on a dead person. But it says, Achiche, it has to be your brother that you're administering these malkot to. And now he's a dead person. He's not your brother anymore. He's dead. So therefore, it must be, says the Gemara, that it has to be based on how many you could actually handle. Otherwise, if you're killing him and then administering more, you're not administering it as the Pasuk says. Ella, but the Gemara says, Ravacha Rava returned turn back to Ravashi and he said, Haditani, we know that the Braita teaches, Amduhu Lekabel Esrim. If the court doctor evaluated the criminal over here and they decided that he could handle twenty lashes, you could only hit him with a number of malkot of lashes that is fitting to be a, a, a divisible by three which means you could either hit him 18 or 21. Rashi explains because in order to administer makot, they would do two lashes on the person's back and one on his front. This is derived from Pesukim, but the point is you can't give 20 because that's not divisible by three. So how many would you, would, you, would you then give? Would you give 18 or would you give 21? The Kamahin says the Braita, Tam Nisrei, you would give 18. That's the Braita, turn to Yudam Udbet. But asks Ravacha Brederava now, if you're telling me really Malkot is in the place of death, and the only problem is you can't continue to give Malkot to a dead person, so that's why you can't give him the total 39. But in this case, if he was uh, evaluated as being able to handle 20, so why don't you give him 21? What's going to happen? The 21st blow will kill him, but you gave the 21st blow to a live person. So you'll fulfill the verse, and it's a form of death. That would be the appropriate thing to do. Strike him 21 times. And when he dies in the 21st time, he'll die. Because you hit him when he was still alive. So says Rava, according to my father Rava, it should emerge that you shouldn't put it down to 18, but the bright dust says you do. Why not push it up to 21? And then you hit him as a live person. He'll die after, but that's only after. So the Gemara answers, Ravashi says, It's based on the same pasuk. What does v'niklach mean? After he's received malkot, he has to be your brother. Now what does that mean? It means it can't be that through the process of administering malkot, uh, lashes against this person, he ends up dying. That's what it really means. After he's been struck, he has to be your brother. Veleka. But if you strike him 21 times, it's true. When you're striking him the 21st time, he's alive. But the problem is, that's not a chicha anymore. Now he's dead after the 21st time. So says Ravashi, that's the pshat, that you would have to knock it down to 18. Because if you push it up to 21, he's going to be dead after the 21st blow. He can't handle that. And therefore, you knock it down to 18 and not give him 21. So Rava's answer is upheld. That the reason Rabbi Yishmoel holds you need a quarter of 23, as Rava says is because essentially Malkot is a form of administering death. You need a court of 23, a capital court. We're going to stop here at the top of Yudha Mudbet. Uh, we'll continue tomorrow with Yudha Mudbet. In the meantime, everybody have a wonderful day.